morning. Do you guys ever feel like God hates you? Or that sometimes, yeah. Or, or that he hates people, that he's some like mean, mean old miserly grandfather figure who's out there to like squish people like bugs underneath his thumb. Ever got that picture of God? Like a, a, a grumpy old like school principal kind of fellow? Because it turns out like, People have that conception about God, and there are some good reasons for it, and there's some really bad reasons for it, but we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, I was reminded this week that Americans are not the only culture that has a vested interest in gratuitous violence. Uh, in a former job, I had a lot of opportunity to listen to audiobooks, and so I went through a stint going through the classics through people like Alexander Dumas and Victor Hugo and Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. And I even did a little stint of ancient Greek classics. I listened through the Iliad and the Odyssey by Homer. And the Odyssey tells this quest story of a man named Odysseus, and he needs to get home. He's been gone for 20 years, and he gets word that at home, his house has been invaded by a bunch of evil young men who want to marry his wife eat his food, and, and destroy everything that he holds dear in life. He needs to get home. But when he gets home, like he's, he's got some problems to handle. And, and the storyline goes, and eventually after assembling a ragtag team and going through some really dangerous stuff, and everyone else dies, but he alone washes up on shore, he's home. And then comes the real challenge. How is he going to deal with these wicked young men? And so they, they set up this plot, he and his his family and a loyal servant. Um, and there's that iconic scene where, where he strings the bow of Ulysses and he shoots an arrow through 20 axe heads dressed as a beggar. And all of these young men all of a sudden have their eyes open to the fact that, oh shoot, Elis Odysseus came home. This is not good. Attack! But it's too late. And what proceeds is Greco-Roman epic poetry describing a massive slaughter of people and Odysseus running through a puddle of his enemy's blood. And I'm listening to this going, oh, uh, I guess we aren't the only ones who have the market on, on violence as entertainment. Uh, but, you know, the story of Odysseus kind of highlights what a lot of people believe about God. Like, when he shows up, like, people are going to burn people are going to be judged, like God might not like us. He might hate us. But, you know, in the story of Odysseus, it's, it's really it's a twofold thing. Because for Odysseus' family, for those who are being punished, for those who are suffering oppression, injustice, and wickedness, and there's nothing they can do about it, they're not powerful enough to save themselves, the, the story is good news. A savior has arrived in our home. But, you know, for the evildoers, <laughs> it, it's not so good after all. Like this guy is showing up and he's going to hurt some people badly. When we get to the story of Luke Acts and we get to the story of Jesus, it turns out that we actually have both of those messages going on. John the Baptist showed up to prepare the people for Jesus' arrival and he says, hey, I've got good news Watch out, you bunch of snakes who warns you to flee from the coming wrath. You guys need to 
to change what you're doing right now and come back to God because the axe of God's judgment is about to fall. There's someone on his way. He's mighty. He's the Messiah. And when he shows up, you know, I baptize you guys in water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to separate the righteous and the wicked like wheat from the chaff. He's going to bring the righteous home. And the chaff, the wicked people, he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so John preached the good news. That's, that's some news. You know, uh, uh, John the Baptist, his own father, Zechariah, had prophesied that God is saving us from our enemies. And so you have a whole group of people who are looking for salvation that will be really good news for them. Not such good news for the people who are oppressing them. Someone is on his way. And when he shows up, things are going to happen. So Jesus has arrived on the scene. After John the Baptist, Jesus shows up. He's baptized. He is announced to be the Son of God. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He goes into the wilderness, and there he does something that we've never seen any person in the history of the world do. He resists the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. There in the wilderness, Jesus chooses to trust God, to provide for his needs, to, to give him purpose and meaning in life. He chooses to wait for God's provision. But now comes a moment in the story where Jesus actually shows up among his people. He, he comes home, and we wonder what's going to happen. If you have a Bible, I welcome you to turn to Luke chapter 4, where there's not going to be a PowerPoint this morning. Sorry for pulling that surprise on you. If you have an app on your phone, feel free to turn that on and go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. And if you need a Bible this morning, there's a stack of them on the back table if you're here with us in person. I'll give you guys one more second. This is what I read. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues and he was being praised by everyone. First thing we see, God's salvation has arrived and it looks like a guy teaching in a synagogue. And if you're not familiar with synagogues, it is the Jewish Saturday Hebrew scriptures version of Sunday morning church, essentially. Gathering around the, around the scriptures to hear the word of the Lord, to respond to it. Jesus just, he's doing it and he's teaching. And whatever it is that he's teaching is earning him a really darn good reputation among everyone who hears. Verse 16, now he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is like, you know, spring break or summer vacation when the guys who left for college come home that you watch grow up. And he's, he's at home. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 
and he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Because if you know the scriptures, if you know Isaiah 61, you know that Jesus just interrupted the sentence halfway. Because the very next line in the quotation is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He doesn't, he doesn't finish the line. He just stops there. The year of the Lord's favor. Close it up. Sit down. He's about to teach. And he began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Like, hey, folks, history is being made right in front of your eyes. All right. They were all speaking well of him. They were amazed at his gracious words. Like, this guy grew up. And yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> like, wait a minute. Hold on. We know who this guy is. This is, this is Joseph's boy. What is he saying? I mean, we take a look at the claims that Jesus is making. I mean, he, he's, he's quoting Isaiah 61, except for the line to set the oppressed free. That's a quote from Isaiah 58, verse 6. And Jesus is saying that, hey, guys, this guy who's talking to you right now that you watched grow up, I presently am anointed by the Spirit of God, you know, as of the days of old who came upon, you know, Samson and the other judges and the prophets. Like, I'm anointed by God's Spirit to bring salvation to you all because you're blind. I've come to give you sight and you're oppressed. I've come to set you free. I'm going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's me. I'm that guy. Wait, isn't this Joseph's boy? What, why is he saying all this? And of course, Isaiah 61, you can just go back a couple you know, months on our YouTube channel and watch the sermon because we just preached through that uh, book of Isaiah. And, and essentially, Isaiah 58 through 61 tells this, I'll try to summarize in brief. God says, you guys are following me and I'm not paying attention to you because you're not you're not fasting. You're not doing these religious observances for my sake. You're doing it for your own. When you fast, you're oppressing everyone around you. You are unjust and corrupt. You need to repent, and I will bring all these blessings into your life. Chapter 59 says, oh, but you can't. You can't experience the blessings of God because your sins have separated you from the Lord. You, you're stuck. You're actually like a bunch of people who can't make sense of what's going on. You're like blind people groping around in the darkness. And unfortunately, the justice and righteousness that you need is a long way off and you can't get there. And that makes God angry. And so God is going to have to do it for you. So God is strapping on his armor. He's going to come and bring salvation on behalf of the people. And because you can't, God's going to bring justice for you. And God is going to make it so that all of his blessings will be experienced by you. And he's going to do it by sending his spirit upon you. And then chapter 61, he's going to do it by sending his agent, this servant of the Lord, to bring all of the promises to bear. And Jesus is saying, hey folks, like, hi little lady who taught me when I was six. I'm the guy. Today, right now, what you've been hoping for, what all 
Israel has been hoping for for hundreds and hundreds of years, it's beginning right here, right now. And their minds are blown. And then they wait, 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 hold on. You're Joseph's boy. We know who you are. And then Jesus said to them, well, no doubt you guys are going to quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. Like, wait a second, prove it. Prove it. Let, let us see a demonstration, like, show, show us your identity. You know, what we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. And in this story, we don't know what happened in Capernaum yet, but they do. They want to see Jesus prove his identity. Sounds a little bit similar to a certain question he was asked just a few verses prior, but, you know, Jesus didn't bend the knee for Satan. He's not going to bend the knee for the Nazarenes either. He's, he's not going to have to prove himself to them. So he says this. He says, truly, guys, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. It doesn't matter what I do. You guys aren't going to accept me. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. When the sky was shut up for three, and a, three years and six months, and while a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath and Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Like, let me just remind you guys that like, no prophet is accepted at home. Remember the stories of Elijah and Elisha? They were prophets of Israel, and yet in their days, God's blessings were, were given to outsiders because the Israelites didn't want them. Jesus is saying, like, I'm here to bring God's blessings, uh, but you're likely not going to experience them. Like, the acceptable year of God's favor has arrived, and you're going to be watching from the sidelines. Like, you, I'm going to do it, but I'm probably not going to do it for you. Just a little bit insulting to the people who are listening. I don't, I don't know what you guys would have responded, but when they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, they drove him out of town, they brought him to the edge of a hill that their town was built on, and they intended to hurl him over a cliff. Like, a lynch mob got formed right then, right there. Like, who do you think you are, Jesus, coming in here telling us that you're somebody special, that we're not, that you're within the will of God and we are going to be on the outskirts, that you're going to bless a bunch of people that we hate and we are, we're, we're wicked? No, 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 you get out of here. No, we're going to make you get out of here. And as is common in human history, when one angry, rageful person gets together with a bunch of other angry, rageful people, really stupid things happen in a crowd. They're going to take care of Jesus. They're going to stop this foolishness right now. But he passed right through the crowd, and he went on his way. Like, come on, Luke. Like, that was, that was your moment to tell me how. Like, I wanted, like, what did he do? I mean, did, did Jesus just, like, barrel through them like a linebacker? Was this a force wave thing, or, a, you know, he knows kung fu? Or, like, how did he get through that crowd? He just, like, stare them down like John Wayne, like, what? You want a piece of me? And they all back off. Like, I don't know. But whatever it is, this, this lynch mob can't stop Jesus. He's been sent on a mission from God. And he's going to do it. Now, scene two. Now he went down to Capernaum, a town of Galilee. 
and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. So whatever it is, they at least recognize something that the, the Nazarenes missed, that Jesus has authority in his teaching. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean, demonic spirit. And if you're joining us or you're new today to this whole Jesus thing, you're like, wait, did he just say something about demon possession? Yes, my friends. Yes, I did. Uh, and, and I don't think I'm crazy. We, we believe that, a God, that God created everything in the material world, that what you can see and measure with all of our fancy scientific instruments is not the sum total of all reality. Uh, that's just part of our worldview. And if there's, you know, God who created everything, there are also lesser non-physical entities called spirits, some good, some bad. Like many cultures, most cultures in the history of the world, we believe in the spiritual realm. And if your questions or you, you want to learn a little bit more, I, I welcome you. You can go and Google. Um, it's on the Washington Post, July 2016. And the article says, uh, is headlined, as a psychiatrist, I diagnosed mental illness. Also, I uh, responded to demonic possession, something along that line. And it's the story of a guy named Robert Gallagher. He's a board-certified psychologist who was brought in as a consultant for a Catholic priest with this unusual case. And as a skeptic, he was brought in. And here's this woman sitting there who claims to worship Satan, who has never met Robert Gallagher in his life, and yet can tell him his deepest, darkest fears, who can tell him that his mother is no longer alive and that she passed away from ovarian cancer. And, and as the story counts, he, he obs observes people who speak in ancient languages perfectly that they've never studied. And his conclusion is based on the evidence that this is not, this is not schizophrenia, this is not disassociative disorder, this is not mental illness, like some non-physical entity has possessed this person. And the evidence leads him to conclude this is demonic possession. So uh, July 2016, Washington Post article. I welcome you to go Google that and find out more. But we believe this happens. So Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching. And there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. On a side note, how would you like to have your Sunday morning service interrupted with that? I mean, I've gotten interrupted by people handing me the mic because mine was broken, or people like, they come in, they walk out, a few people fall asleep and start snoring, but I've, I've never been up speaking and having someone like start shouting this. Like, this is a shocking thing to happen. Get out of here. Leave us alone. What, what in the world do we have to do with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us, the evil spirits, or have you come to destroy us, me and the guy that I'm possessing? You who are bringing the Holy Spirit in fire. You who are going to separate the righteous and the wicked. You who are coming home to your people. One, you frighten me. I recognize your authority. Why are you here, Jesus? Have you shown up to destroy us? But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. The evil spirit left and the man was saved. Like a surgeon, Jesus got rid of 
the disease and he saved the limb. And astonishment came over them all, and they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out? And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. And after he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house, and Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. It just got up and went. You know, he, he walked into, like, the COVID quarantine unit at the hospital, rebuked the fever, and just gone, and the person's fine. And she got up immediately and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. And as he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. And also the demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You're the Son of God! But he rebuked them, and he would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he went out and he made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. Like, it's not a lynch mob this time, but it's a different crowd looking for him. And they came to him, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. We don't want to kill you. We want to keep you. We like you, Jesus. You're a handy guy to have around. But he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus knows why he's here. He knows why he came. He came to preach the good news that the Father promised, to bring that to people. As it turns out, and surprising to us as readers, he didn't come to destroy. He didn't come to bring the day of God's vengeance, at least not yet. Like, unbeknown, I mean, all right, sorry. We live 2,000 years after Jesus. It's really hard to surprise anyone at this point with anything that happened in the guy's life. But as the reader, we've been set up to expect that God is on his way and he's going to separate the righteous and the wicked. Someone's going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit, good and fire. Look out. He's going to separate, you know, he's going to save the righteous, good. He's going to burn the wicked. It's going to be like, you know, Odysseus coming home. And Jesus shows up and says, no, no, here's why I'm here. Because God's spirit is on me, and I've been anointed and sent to do a few things. I'm preaching good news to the poor. I've been sent to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set, the free, set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor end. It's not time for judgment right now. I've not come to destroy the wicked. I've actually come to save people. I've come through my words to announce that there's good news. God's favor has arrived. That last line is a reference to this ancient Israelite law called the, the year of Jubilee. That every 50 years as a nation, they cancel all debts. They eliminate all local slavery because there wasn't chapter 11 bankruptcy back then. If you were in debt and you couldn't pay, you sold yourself as a slave to pay your debt. But every 50 years, all of them got to go home. Every 50 years, your student loans were automatically erased your mortgages were paid every 50 years. The fact that your, your uncle was a scoundrel and sold the family farm to the corporation, it, it comes back to you because God owns the land and he leases it out to his people and they lease it out to others on a 50-year interval. There's a, it's a time of, of coming home. It's a time of release. 
It's a time of resetting everything. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming to let you know that God's favor has arrived. That if you're poor, that's no longer going to define you. And if you're stuck, I'm going to set you free. And if you're captive to anything, whether demons or illness or otherwise, like we're going to see a lot of what this good news that Jesus is bringing looks like. I am coming to let you know that God's favor is here. His day of vengeance is not yet arrived. I'm here to, to separate you from the wickedness that binds you. I'm going to kick the demons out and I'm going to save the people because a great authority has come and God's favor is here. Will you respond to it? He's not showing up in fire. He's not showing up in judgment. He's showing up to save people and it's a divisive message. But God's not out to squish people underneath his thumb. He wants to save them. He sent Jesus to do it. And, and some people don't want the message. We don't want to hear that the, the way to experience God's salvation and favor and to have the good life is by accepting Jesus. Like, who is that guy anyway? But Luke's made it really clear for us. Remember in, in chapter 1, we are told the baby who's going to be born, he's going to be the son of God. And in chapter 2, 12-year-old Jesus says to his parents, don't you know I'm going to be in my father's house? And in chapter 3, the father from heaven says, you are my beloved son. And then in chapter 4, the devil says, well, if you're the son of God, prove it. And then the Nazarenes say, wait, aren't you Joseph's son? And then the demons are coming out exclaiming, you're the son of God. Wait, whose son is he? And right in the middle of these chapters is a genealogy where, G where Luke draws, shows that Jesus is the son of David. He's, he's okay to be the Messiah. He's the son of Abraham. He's okay to represent Israel. He's the son of Adam. He's okay to represent humanity. He's the son of God. He's God's agent, bringing God's blessings to God's people. He's, he's, not, he's not who you expect him to be. He is so, so much more, and he's coming with authority because he's been sent to bring the good news the Father promised. And you know what? And he's not letting anyone stop him, neither the lynch mob nor the popularity crowd. Like, ne neither hindrance nor just welcoming. Like, hey, you saved the town. Be the local town hero. We would love to keep you around. We'll make life comfortable for you. And he says, no, I have been sent for a purpose, and he's on his way to do it. And what we're going to see is that throughout the story, no one gets to kill Jesus. No one gets to impede him in doing what the Father has called him to do. But of course, we know Jesus will die, but he's going to go and die on his own terms, in his own way, because that is the work the Father has called him to do. And then he's going to rise from the dead. And God's spirit is going to come upon God's people. And they're going to be sent with a message that judgment is still to come. But right now, the year of God's favor is available. And if you feel like you're stuck and you can't get out, that there's something that you, like, you don't even know where justice is. You don't even know how to be right with God or with other people. Jesus can save you. Jesus will heal you. And that's a bold claim. I was just talking to my wife because she has been struggling with some chronic health issues as many of you guys are today. And, and so to make the claim that Jesus will heal you when we look around and say, but he hasn't done it yet, is hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. But the story goes is that Jesus has conquered death and one day, one day you're going to be healed, not just of like, you know, foot issues, or arthritis, or, or cancer. 
one day the dark blanket that is oppressing all of humanity called death will be taken away. It'll be just ripped off like an ugly bandage and we're going to find that, that once it's gone, everything will be made new and, and we will be in healed bodies. Like the promise is, no, you will be healed if you come to Jesus. It, it's a sure thing. And sometimes he shows his authority to accomplish what's in the future by doing it now. Sometimes he heals people right now. But we have stories here in this church and in my life of things that we were in bondage to. Jesus set us free. It's, it's inexplicable sometimes the changes that come over people when they encounter Jesus because he has authority. And God has sent him to bring the good news that the Father promised. And he's doing it primarily through teaching, through speaking, through announcing that this thing has come and it's arrived and it is taking place and you can be part of it if you accept Jesus. And he's demonstrating that he has authority to speak by healing people, but he's actually bringing aspects of the kingdom into broken people's lives. And so, my friends, I welcome you. If you don't know Jesus today, to trust him, to, to join his team, to, to accept him and all the goodness that God wants to bring into your life. So it just means to stop living your life the way you're living it and come to God and tell him that you're sorry for the way you've, you've been living your life that you want to follow Jesus, you ask him to forgive you, to give you the Holy Spirit so that you can be a new person on the inside and begin to express that on the outside. And, and come be baptized, be joined to God's people, and let's follow Jesus together because Jesus has come to bring the good news that the Father has promised. But if you are a Jesus person this morning, there's nothing that gives me greater joy than that. If you are, then guys, we're in Luke Acts. We are learning to follow Jesus on a quest because Jesus is doing the mission that the Father has sent him to do. And then in Acts, we'll see that the church is going to go out and actually do the mission that Jesus sent, sends them to do. We get to follow Jesus on the journey. So let's look at Jesus as our example this morning in the passage, and what do we see? We see that Jesus knows what the Father has sent him to do, and he lets neither opposition nor popularity keep him from doing it. Like he is going to go out and do the work. It would be more convenient to stay in one location and way less convenient to stay in another. Uh, but, but he's going out. And, and personally, over this last year, it just, I mean, my, my turn for confession, something that God has been putting on my heart is an aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus has given his church a command to go and make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So we're to make disciples by going, by, by baptizing, by teaching to obey. And in my own life, I realized, like, I've kind of treated that as optional or as something for someone else to do. And I've been repenting of that for the last year. And as I've expressed to people, as someone last week, I'm like, I'm just sick and tired of not obeying Jesus in this area. And I know some of you guys have have aspects. So if you're a Jesus follower, one, welcome to the journey. Let's follow him and go make disciples because that was given to the church. So it's for you all as well. But there may be another element of following Jesus, of doing the work and will of the Father that you need to do this week. And I welcome you to imitate Jesus by loving him and, and then loving like him, becoming like him in his life. Bring the good news of, of God into broken people's lives and wherever possible, meet those needs demonstrate tangibly the, the good news that the Father will one day accomplish for the whole world by 
by taking care of the sick, by helping people who are stuck get out of it. Because that's what Jesus was sent to do. And that's what we are invited to follow him in because Jesus has been sent to bring the good news the Father promised and no one and nobody is going to stop him from doing it. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Father, thank you for the one that you sent not to condemn, not to judge, not to, not to burn the wicked. You, you came with a message of grace and salvation. You came so that we who were wicked, we who were doing wrong, were able to be saved that you could deal with our sin and save us because you loved those who were your enemies, that you valued those who were children of darkness enough to send your son to die on our behalf that we might become children of God. Father, I thank you for the, the crazy good news about Jesus, that he showed up and he met wickedness and he saved people from it. And Lord, I do pray that we would repent because the time of judgment will come upon the earth because things are broken, because people are hurting, because oppression and dishonesty and injustice and rape and murder and slavery is, are still going on in the world and we need you to take care of it. And Father, I thank you that right now you are offering a chance for people to, to experience your salvation and, and your love, that you will, you will deal with the sin and save the people if we would come to your son. So Lord, let us celebrate that now is not the day of vengeance yet, but the year of your salvation. Father, I just pray that all people everywhere would turn to your son and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, and that we, your people now who have chosen to follow Jesus, would be empowered by your spirit to go out and live like him, to show the world who Jesus is by the way that we speak, by the way that we live, by the way that we think. Lord, that your people would have a better reputation than they do now, because we would actually look like Jesus, by doing the things that we see him doing. Father, would you equip us today and let us praise you for it. Amen.